coming straight from the cockpit. It's another episode of Lunatic Fringe with the fucking pilot. Ready, set, go. All right, another edition of Lunatic Fringe Into the Void is coming at you straight from the can and with the magic of the internet. Again, on the other line, somebody to tell me some really cool stories, uh, not just about skydiving primarily, but a lot of base jumping and stuff as well. Uh, so tell me, who the fuck are you and what do you do? My name is Charlie Kurlenkis. I, I guess what I do is I'm an ER doc, but uh, I'm a skydiver second and a base jumper first and have been for the last about 15 years or so. You're a doctor. Like an, an emergency room doctor. Yeah, I just, I got off my shift about two hours ago. Jesus Christ. So you're like sticking fingers in bullet holes and taking care of all kinds of crazy shit. Oh, sticking fingers all sorts of places. <laughs> Wait, we're still talking about being a doctor, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Good enough. All right, fair enough. No, yeah, just, you know, if, if I, I work only nights in an emergency room uh, here in Sacramento, California, where I live and have lived for the last 15 years or so. And yeah, if, if something real bad happens to you in the middle of the night. I'm your guy. That's got to be pretty intense. I mean, an ER doctor, that's a that's pretty fucking niche, isn't it? I mean, people do their residency and stuff, but then they usually go to a nice cushy family practice. So you must have found something you loved. I, I, I've always been kind of the, I'd rather know a little bit about everything than be the supreme ex- expert in one thing. And it, and it seems like, you know, I, I thought about doing orthopedic surgery for a while, but you kind of wind up training for 10 years and being the the West Coast number one left kneecap surgeon, and you operate on left kneecaps for the next thirty years. And uh, I, I kind of like coming to work and having no idea what I'm going to see. I'm going to see whatever walks in the door, whether that's you know belly pain or someone getting shot in the belly, kind of kind of thing. So wow, you never well, know. I suppose, nice. I suppose, yeah. If you if you if you're so specialized in medicine, you'd almost become it's an assembly line. You're just stamping the same part over and over. Yeah, I mean, it, it's great that that we are so subspecialized in medicine because you get a guy who's, you know, when you hurt your left kneecap, you get the guy who's an expert in that kind of thing. And that's the way that medicine's kind of turned. Um, ER is kind of that last bastion of we need people that are up in the middle of the night that know how to pretty much take care of everything. So oh, yeah. Well, that's, that's kind of where I And being a skydiver and you enjoyable. being a- you being a skydiver and base jumper as well, you know uh, um, how the ER works from, I'm sure, both the doctor and patient side. I've been uh, uh, the benefactor to many of trips to the ER, so it's <laughs> – and I'm always happy to see a doctor that knows what's up. <laughs> yeah. No worries, Ed. So, you know, we – we don't expect to see anybody, but we're always there if people need us. So that's kind of the, the mantra. So, yeah. So how did you get into uh, to jumping out of airplanes? I assume that you were jumping before you were an ER doctor. Yeah. Um, I started jumping, actually. I'm from just outside Chicago. I'm from right on the border between uh, Wisconsin, Illinois, and Illinois. And uh, I actually went to school at the University of Illinois, and I partially went there on a track scholarship. I used to be a high jumper. So the not the thing with the pole, the thing where you just jump and flip backwards over and jump as high as you can in the air. So okay. if, for, for some reason, if you can jump real high in the air, then they'll pay you to go to school for it. So that was a pretty good deal. <laughs> nice. But uh, I actually wound up graduating a year early after three years, and I'd always wanted to do skydiving. And if you're on an athletic scholarship, one of the caveats is that if you get hurt doing something that they deem is kind of a stupid thing for you to be doing, they can they can pull your scholarship. So that kind of prevented me from skydiving before I was kind of finished with school. So I basically went through a fourth year of school and did a, a year of grad school and was getting paid to be a TA and things like that, but I wasn't getting any money for the track team. So the summer before my last year of, of being in school, 
I decided to go do a tan with my little brother and really enjoyed it and then was doing my AFF the next weekend. Wow. So it was kind of something that I'd, I'd always wanted to do but couldn't do. I tried it. I thought I'd like it. I did like it and it just kind of went from there. Nice. Like, uh, like I'm sure a lot of people listening, I kind of fell in love with the drop zone lifestyle and was spending every free second I could out there doing jumps and hanging out at bonfires and getting drunk and all the all the fun stuff that comes with Scott. I mean, yeah, man. Yeah, man. Now, uh, you, you said that uh, you were obviously a uh, uh, an athlete for college and, and you did the track team thing and you, uh, you'd mentioned you don't get paid for that. Um, so a quick sideline question, what do you think of the whole, um, scan, not scandal, but all the bullshit involved with, uh, college athletes not getting paid. It's super interesting. Cause actually while I was in school at, at the University of Illinois, our basketball team was in the national championship game my junior year. And, and a few of the guys wanted playing in the NBA for a while after that. And I, and I did a paper for a class on, should athletes get paid and that was you know that was 2004 so we're, we're 15 16 years later and we're still having this discussion of hey right. if, if i wear a jersey number five on the basketball court they're selling that jersey in the bookstore for a hundred bucks a pop why am i not getting any of that money kind of right. thing which is an interesting question you know and and you know one bad injury you don't make any money from that mm. and the university still made a bunch of money off you so yeah that was it's always... a really interesting question and i i think it's it's interesting and now we're starting to see finally some change where they're talking about paying athletes so it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens the next few years yeah that for too. sure i mean I, I i don't know what my opinion was in regard to whether or not uh, um the athletes had a uh, a salary so to speak but if they're using that that athlete's name and they're making money off of this person's name on a jersey or a poster or something like that that's when i'm like well wait a second this is this fucking guy's name you know as soon as you cross that line i think that guy needs to get paid for sure <laughs> Yeah, and you're and you're paying the coaches ten million dollars a year, but you're not paying the players anything. It's kind of an interesting, you know. I've, yeah. I've had I, I can see it from both sides where people say no, it's college, it should be not paid, all that kind of stuff. But it's interesting when there's that much money involved, it, it gets pretty tricky. It's not like there's a hundred thousand dollars. There's a billion dollars kind of oh, in yeah. NCAA football and basketball. So oh yeah, my god, I think kind of how they how they handle that. I think collegiate sport wise, it's, it's well over a billion dollar a year industry, if not dramatically more. And it, I mean, obviously all the money is just being made off of the athletes. So I don't want to sidetrack too much, but uh, it seems like a, um, still a pretty sticky subject for sure. Yeah. So, it's, it's, it's been interesting after, you know, like I said, years and years later that we're still talking about and finally making some movement. Sure, yeah, sure. Interesting. So you went from a college athlete not making any money to a skydiver. <laughs> so, spending spending even more money I didn't have. Yeah, so clearly yeah, so. money has never been a motivation in regard to sport for you. <laughs> no, no, not at all. And uh, basically people always ask me like how I paid for, for skydiving and things like that. And so I, I wound up skydiving – basically on the money I was getting paid to be a grad student. I put every second, every, every cent I kind of made of my, whatever I was getting 1500 bucks a month stipend to, to teach a couple of classes in, in grad school. I was, that was getting spent at the drop zone every weekend and going towards gear and stuff like that. And then after that first kind of year and a half season and a half of, of jumping, I moved out to, to California to start medical school, I moved out to Sacramento and, I, I must say that a, a motivating factor for moving that way was definitely that there are two very large drop zones very near <laughs> where I live, which is which is a big benefit when you're super into skydiving at first. Sure. So now, where'd you go to college? I went to the University of Illinois in Champaign, Illinois. In Champaign, okay. And then, and then, uh, for, and, medical and then school? for med school, UC, UC Davis, which is actually, even though it's uh, Davis is in the name, it's actually in Sacramento. But uh, wound up teaching actually a, another anatomy class for the for the undergrad while I was in med school. Being down at Davis and, and 
teaching a class and then going to the drop zone and then coming back and teaching another section of the class. So spending <laughs> a lot of a lot of my time and, and energies down at the drop zone those first uh, first couple of years of med school. For sure. sure. So now med school, I mean, obviously, I only know from from uh, movies and television, but med school seems like it would be one of the most intense things a person could possibly go through. How the fuck do you manage to jump out of airplanes and get through med school? That's that's a good question. Yeah, it's it's not a uh, it's not an unintense uh, experience. You got to spend. I mean, it just takes time. Um, being good at memorizing stuff really helps. That that was advantageous. And uh, during my so the the biggest time suck, especially your first year of med school, is doing human anatomy. You, you basically spend a lot of time in a lab dissecting a human body and memorizing every little Oof. nerve, muscle, origin, insertion of muscles, everything. You know, getting tests on this stuff. Right. Well, when I was in grad school, I actually taught human anatomy for you know, two sessions for two semesters kind of thing. So I had that pretty, pretty down pat. So all the, all the time I, my classmates were spending studying this kind of stuff, I was playing at the drop zone. You were jumping. So, so that, yeah, so that, that definitely helped out. And, and teaching anatomy that year paid for more jumps. So yeah, it was, it was kind of using the, using the funds I had available in the best possible way to, to squeeze out all the fun and excitement I could. I'd say that's pretty fucking good, man, because I'll tell you what, I don't know anybody that uh, um, in the sport, and, and I've been in it for, what, shit, 25 years now, that was going through med school and becoming a skydiver at the same time. Yeah, that's... yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was definitely, if I, I was burning the candle at both ends, breaking the candle in half, and burning those ends too for for a number of years. So yeah, no uh, I don't shit. think I don't think now I could go. You know, when you're 22, you can do that kind of thing. I don't think I could go back and do it if I started today, no. or want to do it if I started today. But no, well, yeah, and was, I mean, it was fun. You talked about the whole drop zone life as well. So you're you're just getting into skydiving, and you're in med school. But the drop zone when you're just getting started is fucking it's Wonderland. You know, I mean, uh, oh all yeah, the, all the coolest shit happens after the jumping goes on. On, which again is not exactly um, good for study type. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it was you know it, it was this wonderland to me because I grew up you know small town in the Midwest playing traditional sports, playing basketball, running track, doing that kind of stuff. So right. you know, moving out to California and and skydiving and meeting all the people involved in skydiving and some of these great athletes from other sports kind of thing was just amazing to me. I, I felt very out of place hang out with some of these people but uh yeah it was it was definitely an amazing opportunity i never expected for sure now well and that's where your and my uh paths crossed was uh out at skydance yeah absolutely yeah out in northern california yeah working uh jumping and having fun with uh with ray farrell and the gang out there oh yeah it's uh yeah and, and i did a, a couple of real hard years of, of skydiving out there and and you know loved every second was out there every weekend then kind of snuck into the base world and and never really looked back <laughs> So how'd that start? I mean, uh, um, especially again, you're, you're becoming a doctor. I'm sure you're learning about all the different ways that people fuck themselves up and you decide to take up a hobby that is by and large, the most dangerous sport on the planet. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And uh, the funny thing then is, you know, this was 2006 and it's amazing how much more public bases mm. uh, this day and age where everyone you know those were the days when i was first flying wingsuits and you would go to a new drop zone people were like oh is that one of those wingsuits that's really cool right and you know now you know you know everyone's grandma has seen proximity flying youtube videos and things like that but sure you know that was that was the time where you jump all day and then as people are starting to you know drink and hang out a couple of guys would go sneak away and be packing these other parachutes like back behind the hangar and then going out and sneaking around i was like hey what are you guys doing and right wound up wound up climbing towers and watching guys free fall past me and just being like yeah i need to do that it looks really fun 
Well, and, so, and Northern California was a pretty base-rich area as well, wasn't it? Oh, I mean, it, it was in no intention my reason for, for moving out here, but I couldn't imagine a better place in the U.S., you know, maybe outside of Twin Falls, which is a – I mean, Twin Falls and Northern California are very different places for, right. for other reasons. But, you know, that has a base history of people jumping since the 80s and 90s and, you know, having – a giant national park that's real close that has quite a significant base jumping history too so oh yeah yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't i couldn't have asked for kind of a better place to to live for base jumping i would say in the u.s yeah well i mean shit you've got to, um in fact i think the first time i ever saw um really public uh base on film was the what was it, the triple x movie where they jumped the corvette oh sure off yeah, the auburn, auburn bridge yep. you know i mean it's yeah having having that bridge a, a 30 minute drive from my house is is a pretty big luxury when i mean there's a lot of base jumpers out there that they drive an hour and a half to jump a 300 foot guy wired antenna and yeah having a 700 plus foot bridge in your backyard is a, a pretty big luxury for sure absolutely i mean that's that's some serious altitude in the base world uh, uh when most people are just scraping by getting as much as they possibly can so that's pretty cool so now are yeah, you putting get, getting the slider up is is a is a big luxury in base for sure on a on a daily basis so. oh yeah yeah so now uh are you the only scout ever in the family uh, so my little brother, who's my, I have, I have three brothers and the youngest of them uh, came out and, and did his AFF at Lodi about probably, was that probably 2008 or nine. Okay. And, uh, and, and like a, and like a good smart brother, I, I had him do his, uh, his AFF with Ed Pulaski. <laughs> he had nine jumps and we went to Twin Falls and PCA'd him off the bridge. <laughs> of course you did. Why wouldn't you? But I mean, he he did three three base jumps on that on that trip, and and he's never done any since. And he he got into skydiving for a little while. I think he wound up doing about 150, 200 skydives, and then kind of you know as as happens to people, life, school, other things got in the way, and didn't yeah. do as so much jumping anymore. But he still does a, a couple of jumps a year, renting gear, or borrowing gear, and stuff like that. So oh, fair enough. It's been cool. It, it's very cool to to jump with a sibling. If if you know people that that get to regularly and have a skydiving family. It's really cool to be able to jump with your family. For sure. For sure. Uh, uh, my favorite skydiving family uh, ever, you'll know quite well, is Perry and Zinda Colburn. Um, oh, sure, yeah. And Perry and Zinda, both active skydivers. And I believe at one point all of their kids were skydivers. At least two of the daughters yeah, were yeah. skydivers. How, I remember the daughters coming out for sure, yeah. Yeah, how epic is that? Yeah, it's pretty cool to be able to share that with your family. And I mean, my my parents wouldn't get in a, a plane to do a tandem to save their lives for, for sure. So, you know, it's, it's been cool that I've, I've jumped with all my other brothers doing tandems and things like that. And then the one, you know, doing actual jumps, which has been real cool. Yeah. How cool is that? How cool is that? So now you, you started out with uh, skydiving, you started getting into base jumping, you're still in medical school. Um, but I know now you've been all over the world base jumping and doing all kinds of crazy shit. That's a, that's a big transition, man. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I can't say when I when I did my first you know base jump that I could have ever dreamed the places it would take me and the things I'd be able to do with it. I mean, that's not why I got into it at all. But it's it's taken me some amazing places for sure. I, I can't complain about that. So what uh, been, what are your what are your uh, other doctors and coworkers at the hospital think of all this? You know, the funny thing is, I figured I could always go one of two ways about it. You can either you know, kind of talk about it, make it a normal thing that you do. And it's just this kind of quirky, funny, weird thing that Charlie does, or it's this super dangerous secret, illegal thing. So I've, I've always been pretty open about my jumping and things like that. And I kind of don't do as many high profile jumps close to home for, sure. for that reason. And, and, you know, all my coworkers know at least that I, that I do this kind of stuff. I don't really, you know, go posting videos anywhere, sharing them with them or anything like that, but they know it's something I, you must be like the fucking cool doctor at the hospital. 
only in my own mind. Yeah, fair enough. That's all that matters, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, what, what was your first big destination jump? I mean, where where did you like go? Okay, fuck, I gotta fly across the world to jump off of this. I mean, in in kind of the mid two thousands when wingsuiting was kind of starting, just even going over to Switzerland and going to Lauterbrunnen Valley, which which kind of now is this low little thing that no one bothers with anymore. But at the time, that was one of the big destinations where you could go and do a bunch of jumps. And uh, I, I always found, I always really have been kind of a, a solo guy. Like I like doing a lot of solo base jumps. I like traveling solo and I would have just little chunks of time that I could wedge in between med school rotations and things like that, where I could get out to place for a couple of weeks. I'd run a vehicle and I would just kind of go meet people and tag around with them. Um, it, it, kind of today you can, you can go online and find GPS coordinates and laser rock drops and all sorts of things for pretty much every jump around. And, and back then it was kind of these secret sites that you had to get to know Swiss guys that they would trust you and take you to a place and things like that. And I always found it was way easier to, if you were traveling solo and you kind of, you know, could prove yourself that you were good enough, you didn't really have to worry about anything else. They would usually take you. So I got to kind of meet a lot of international jumpers early on and, you know, jumps with cool people lead to more cool jumps and events eventually and things like that. So it's, yeah, it's taken me yeah, it's a all pretty, over the world, I think. I mean, it's a small, tight little community for sure. Base jumping obviously being a, a much smaller uh, than skydiving as the whole, but a really, really tight-knit group of people. I guarantee I could name off a dozen random names and you'd probably know at least 10 of them. Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, it's uh, especially if you get into guys that have been around for 10 plus years. I mean, they're still jumping. There's there's not not tons. So it's cool to kind of, you know, know those names, hear those names and, and kind of meet people eventually in real life and then become friends with them. It's sure. kind of a cool thing. What is the it's uh, a really it's a really weird thing to have in common that really can bond you. You know, right? skydiving is the same kind of stuff, but base jumping even more so. Well, it used to be skydiving, and this was you know twenty two, twenty three years ago when I still wore a, a closing pin necklace and and uh, uh, once in a blue <laughs> you still, moon. Yeah, you've, you've switched you switched back to your puka shells now. Yeah, is right. That, is that how it, <laughs> I've still got the necklace. I just don't wear it anymore. <laughs> sure. But yeah, you'd, once in a blue moon, someone out in public would recognize what it was, and it was an instant friendship. Oh God, we've got something cool to talk about. Uh, base jumping dramatically more so. Obviously, the the d- danger factor and the pucker factor is quite high <laughs> in that comparatively now. So, uh, what does what does the family think of of uh, the base jumping more than the skydiving? Skydiving almost nowadays is so. What's the word? It's not not mundane, but it's just so mainstream now. People don't really think twice about it. Yeah, and I think I think that's the internet and YouTube for pretty much anything that's crazy. I mean, even proximity flying base jumping videos get so few views now compared to what they do, and no one's no one's paying a bunch of money for that kind of stuff just because you kind of get desensitized to to everything and and how crazy it really is to truly do it yourself when you can just watch it from a first person view from your computer. You're like, yeah, I could do that. Yeah, for sure. Well, and especially when, if you're, if you're even slightly knowledgeable about the sport, the, uh, uh, the success rate, uh, especially, you know, two, three years ago was not great. Yeah. Wing, wing suits have been, uh, I came kind of have come through base jumping and especially wingsuit base jumping at a very interesting time to kind of see the sport really just, blow up and 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 kind of like i said most people know what a wingsuit is now i mean just lay people know what a wingsuit people that have no you know recollection of skydiving or or desire to do skydiving have at least seen a lot of those videos sure and and there was definitely a time where we were kind of pushing stuff more than we knew what was what to do and, and more than the technology 
could have seen. I, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't listen to your podcast with Matt and Mike from squirrel, but I'm, I'm sure they, they talked about the same thing being around from that, from that same time, just how things have progressed. Oh, how, yeah. You know, it, it, the average wingsuit base jumper, or the average wingsuit pilot today versus 10 years ago is so much more skilled and, and mm. so much more knowledgeable about, you know, the training's better, the suits are better, all that kind of stuff. Oh, so for sure. It's, you know, it, when, when that stuff happens, the performance increases, there's definitely a, a, a you know a sharp edge to any sport like that where well and people I, are gonna people are gonna figure out what's possible and they're gonna figure that out by figuring out what's not possible. Oh yeah, well and I I mean uh, I talked to, about it to, with uh, Nick and Matt and uh, Matt Munting and and Nick as well um, that uh, the proli- that the popularity of those YouTube videos, people doing the proximity flying and all this crazy stuff, has people that have no fucking business trying this shit. Um, are, you know, secondhand buying a suit and going out and flicking stuff that they've got no business doing. And sometimes they get lucky and a lot of times they don't. Sure. I mean, it's, yeah, it's the, the visibility of it is so much more out there and, and people can go on the internet and buy gear and figure it out. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy how that's changed. It is. And it, well, it's kind of funny because I know that, uh, um, as soon as you start talking about regulation and policing stuff, people like you and I uh, flinch automatically. Ooh, no, 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 that's really bad. But <laughs> I mean, you got somebody that just barely finished AFF that just got a hold of a freak suit and they want to go jump off something in Italy. That's bad. Oh yeah. I mean, we had a couple of years ago, a guy, uh, you know, I think he did his AFS, then AFF and then took his skydiving rig out to Brento and bought a big wingsuit and that lasted exactly one jump less than one jump so yep. well I, that, I, that kind of stuff you know luckily it's luckily it's few and far between it seems like but people can still do that i think i heard that, that story happens. uh was he not approached by multiple people trying to talk him into not jumping yes and- I, I think i think people had kind of sniffed out that his plan was something not good and i think he hid while everyone else exited and then came back out when everyone else had already gone and jumped, I think was the, the story I heard. So, I mean, people, you, you can't save them all. No. Well, you know, I mean, people. I, I get the whole learn from your own mistakes because most of the time people are not good at learning from other people's mistakes. But when it comes to skydiving and base jumping, I think I make the exception and try and learn from other people's fuck ups. Yeah, there's enough there's enough information out there that that's, you know, the base fatality list is sitting there for everyone to read and there's a lot of good lessons that, oh, yeah. that can be learned by just just doing that. Well, and, and, and you know, in the last few years the lesson might be that man, wingsuits are kind of dangerous. Yeah, so. you know, it's it, and I never got into base jumping um not because it wasn't an attractive thing for me but because I had a daughter and and uh I just kind of crossed that line and went, "Nope, that's not for me." Uh no matter how cool it looked. Uh but uh I'd, I'd take the, the desire for that and then I'd start to watch all my friends over all the years who've gravitated toward that kind of stuff, get themselves in a lot of trouble and either really fucking hurt or killed that were really extremely talented pilots that just something went wrong. Oops. Yeah. And those are definitely the scariest ones that always were for me is when do you, when, when somebody dies and yeah. you say, wow, that guy's, that guy was way better than me. Yeah, man. I mean, that's happened. That's happened definitely to me a handful of times where I'm like, holy shit, that guy was way better than me. Well, and I'm sure a lot of the people that you and I both crossed paths with, I mean, when, when Dean Potter passed away, I was like, what? No. Yeah. No, that- Dean, Dean was a very, very close friend. So, I mean, that was, that was definitely, I mean, to me and, and my, I started wingsuit base in 2006 and I did my last wingsuit base job in 2016. And and that was kind of after that big rash of fatalities, and and after Dean died was what kind of one of the last last straws for me because, 
I mean, you have you can have the conversation of how safe something is and how we can do this forever, and we're not going to make these mistakes. I've had that conversation with so many dead guys, Dean included. I mean, and and that's and when you when you start really thinking about that and and asking yourself if you are crazy doing this stuff and and thinking you can do it safely, and you know, eventually for me, the the wingsuit just wasn't worth it. There wasn't anything left that I needed to do in it. After you know, I would say that I was on kind of the the tip of the spear for 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 a solid four or five years of kind of pushing what's possible and and doing opening a lot of jumps and and seeing a new jump and being like, hey, one guy's jumped it, I'm jumping it too, sure, kind of thing. So 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 how it's, do you? It's been go ahead. you you've been into the the wingsuit base jumping specifically, and like you said, tip of the spear for a lot of it. But so now you're a doctor, uh, and you see the the horrible shit that human beings can do to yourself to, to themselves. Did that ever temper anything that you did, or was it? Were you able to separate it's, that? Yeah, I think I was always able to separate it both because I've seen how bad things can be. And I've also seen how anything can happen to anyone at any time. Sure. And, you know, and, and, you know, I, the, the, the saddest cases for me are always when you're, you know, tell a 27 year old guy that's got two kids that he's got stage four pancreatic cancer and that's oh, why his belly's been hurting. God. And he realized like, you know, it, it's always nice people. It's always, I mean, it's the fucking worst. It's the absolute worst. Damn dude. See, that's why I'm going to just stay an asshole. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's the biggest way to protect only nice people die early. That just seems to be, uh, that's, the... that it's always the nicest family people that, that get diagnosed with the most awful uh, shit. And, fuck me. And kind of, and kind of seeing that you got, you say to yourself, you know, I'm not going to go kill myself, but I'm not going to sit and bubble wrap myself either. Right. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's a double, it's a double edged sword. And, and, and the same thing with that, it's, I always get, you know, I'll get the occasional person that's like, you're a doctor. Like, how could you do something so irresponsible and crazy and stuff? And and I kind of say, hey, if you've just gotten shot in the chest six times and you get brought in at three o'clock in the morning, do you want the guy that freaks out under pressure or the guy that jumps off crazy shit for fun? All right. You know, kind of that that can deal. So so you know, it, it takes a lot to get me kind of flustered. Oh, I would imagine at work or in any situation, and oh. that's possibly because. I do crazy stuff for my hobbies too. Sure. Well, and I, I mean, personally, I think that's a bit of a bullshit argument. Why would a doctor do something dangerous? I mean, how many doctors do you work with smoke? Oh yeah. Well, not, not many of these day, this day and age, but I yeah, mean, but it's, uh, no, no, for, or, or, or drink or do anything. Sure. Any number of things that they know are, are bad for Of them, course. So. Absolutely. I mean, that's just part of life is you're going to do what you want to do, uh, whether or not it's particularly good for you or not. The best thing you can do is try and keep your head screwed on straight and be as smart about it as you can be, for sure. Yeah. So now I I'm mean, gonna... there's, there's risk. There's risk in everything in life. And, you know, you just got to decide how much is for you. So now I'm going to basically, uh, or I'm going to um, briefly sidetrack a little bit and ask you um, more medical-based stuff. So as a doctor, for as long as you've been a doctor and as long as you've been uh, skydiving and base jumping, you know all the different ways that us skydivers fuck ourselves up. Um, what are some, other than not hitting the ground too hard, what are some ways that skydivers can help reduce the chance of the bullshit little injuries, the fucked up shoulders and backs and stuff that we hurt every day? Well, I mean, I'm sure you've seen that one of the best things for necks has been GoPros, I yes. would say. Oh, God, you yes. know, it, 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 you're, you're not sitting out there with, a, you know, with a D3 on your on your head and a side mount <laughs> high eight tape camera. I mean, I've still got plenty of high eight tapes floating around from from the early days. But I mean, it's it's amazing how much that's taken the stress off people. I mean, when was the last time you saw a guy that was wearing like a neck brace? Oh, yeah. For a camera helmet. And that right. used to be a, a fairly common thing when yeah. people were shooting big old cameras. Yeah, man. You know, it's. It's it's like anything though in any sport you just kind of 
pay attention and don't make the real bad decision. You know, the, the, when you're learning to swoop, get some instruction, watch people that know what they're doing. Don't just say, Hey, I'm just going to do one eighties and, and bury yourself into the ground. I mean, right. That's it's, it's usually when people are kind of get, it's like anything. Complacency is, is a killer. Complacency oh, no is doubt. always the thing that, you know, in, in our sport and any sport kind of things, it's, it's the real deal every time that you're, that you're doing it. So just take it seriously and remember that anything can happen at any time. Just yeah, be ready for it. No yeah. doubt. And stretch. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. It's everyone gets old. Stretch. Fucking stretch, man. That's the one thing I wish I had learned a long time ago. I spent a fair amount of time in uh, Eloy over the years, and they always had people doing yoga on groups in the mat, and I always walked by them going, the fuck are they doing? And now I would give anything to go back and do yoga with those guys. (laughs) You know, it's amazing how... If you're if you're doing stuff and and you know not abusing your body but using your body, you're gonna be sore and you're gonna need to do that kind of general maintenance stuff. And I think everyone when they hit kind of their early to mid thirties starts feeling that it only gets more over time. Oh yeah, man. Yeah, definitely. I make a lot more noises than I ever used to, and it's doing a lot <laughs> less shit. You know, getting off the couch now, it sounds like I'm trying to deadlift, uh, um, you know, record weights. <laughs> so. Uh, as you started uh, really getting into the base jumping and really traveling, what are some really memorable uh, objects and, and uh, jumps and trips that you've had? Because I know you've had more than I can count. Sure. I mean, uh, the a lot of the early trips when we were going over to France and, and, you know, opening a lot of the jumps that I still see people doing today were, mm. were really special times. And, and kind of opening a jump is always a cool thing, being there for the first time and, and being, you know, knowing it's possible and thinking it's possible, but no one's ever done it before. So it's a little Ooh, bit scary. That's got to be. Are, those are always kind of, those are always kind of cool jumps though. I mean, uh, getting to go places like, like China and going to South Africa and doing jumping there and, and, and going to, you know, Dubai in the early days where, where there was some, some buildings that you could <laughs> jump fairly easily and with not too much hassle. So there's, right. there's been a lot of good ones. Uh, I did jump, you know, people always ask me, it's a common question, you know, what's your most memorable jump kind of thing. As far as kind of the uniqueness of the object and, and probably that it would be almost impossible to do it now is, uh, you know, a number of years ago, me and a buddy decided to just, uh, head to Paris and try to jump the Eiffel tower. No shit. So we, uh, we got there, you know, got there the day before kind of scattered out where, where our possible entries were. And there was a, a guy, a French guy who's actually, you know, died on a jump actually since that time. That was kind of the master of, uh, of the, of the Eiffel tower. And he'd been, I can't remember. He jumped it 40 or 50 times. But he'd gotten busted a bunch too. <laughs> of course. And, uh, and my buddy, my buddy, Shane Murphy from, from, he was probably one of, still is probably the, the best wingsuit pilot I've ever jumped with. Amazing, amazing wingsuit pilot died in 2012 before even wingsuits got good. And we had a day off. It was going to be raining where we were in France, and he kind of brought up the idea of, let's go and try to jump the Eiffel Tower. He's like, I got this contact with this French guy. You know, I'll get the beta. We'll, we'll figure it out. Let's, let's do it. It's worthwhile. So we're calling this French guy. We're like, hey, you know, tell, tell us how you do this. How do you, how do you sneak in? Where do you go? Oh, it's, it's very easy. You should just do it. <laughs> now, okay, like, what should we do? Should we go in which leg? No, it's very easy. You'll figure it out. Just go do it. <laughs> Wouldn't give us anything. Would not give us any information at all. No shit. But... Uh, Basically, long story short, wound up uh, finding a little area of construction and climbing up a leg and climbing up some fire escapes and no shit doing some kind of James Bondy stuff around some security cameras, which is which is very memorable. It's kind of stepping over security cameras and things like that, climbing on the outside of the Eiffel Tower and Jesus got Christ. up there. Sun, sun started rising, decided to jump. So yeah, it was a 
So it's pretty cool. With that, stuff like that's that, that's a unique experience. I always remember that one. You know, I'm told by a lot of different base jumpers that the the most memorable or the funnest jumps are some of these clandestine fucking James Bond 007 shit. That the jump is cool, but it's the prep to the jump and everything you have to do in order to make it yeah. happen. Build, building jumps, urban like active building jumps, are always pretty cool jumps. It's they, pretty intense. They, I've got, I've got so yeah, it's 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 cool. Kind of you know, you're sneaking around, and I think most most base jumpers do kind of the you know leave no trace kind of ethics. We don't try to break stuff. We you know we're there to jump a building, and that's it. We're not stealing sure. shit. We're not breaking shit. Don't worry about us. We're gonna you know the the best base jumper is the one you've never heard of. Kind of right. kind of thing. Right, right. I, uh, um, I've done ground crew for a a few base jumps, uh, out of, uh, Vegas and there were, they were always very entertaining because you're, you never quite know what's going on and you're waiting on the ground, waiting for the canopies to hear, you know, you hear that crack and hopefully they're going to land where they land and. I wasn't on. Oh one yeah, we're, and we're going. We're going for the same. We're we're going through the same thing up top, where you're kind of looking around for cops. My my first building jump ever um, was God, yeah, twelve years ago now, thirteen years ago, and the way we were going to jump and and the place we were going to land, we were getting ready, we were geared up, and a cop pulled up right there, and they were sweeping and they were they were tearing down another building to start building. This is this is in San Francisco, um, and there's just a cop car parked right where we're going to land. So we go and decide to jump on the other side of the building. And there's a there's a blue tarp that's kind of on the edge of this building under construction. My plan, I was going to run off the roof and jump over this kind of about eight, ten inch lip, clear it and then free fall. My buddy I was with because it was pretty early. My jumping crew was like, no, 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 go poise. It's way, way safer. You know, stay on there. You'll get a good push off. So I'm standing there on the edge on the blue tarp and I push real hard. My feet slip out from under me. I go straight head down off the building about six inches away from this this solid glass building. And I remember I remember seeing my own reflection and thinking to myself, "Ah, maybe I'll do a front flip. I was like, I've never done. I've never done a front flip. That's probably not a good idea. Like, yeah, let's just pitch. (sighs) Throw it out. Pilot shoot. Hits my foot. Perfect down heading opening. Jesus. Holy crap. All right. Go land. Great. I mean, sometimes it's all about luck, isn't it? There, there. I mean, it, it's. I, I'm sure most people are listening. If there's skydivers, know the skill bucket, luck bucket kind of oh, yeah. thing, and you're going to have to dump, dip into that luck bucket you now know, and again. So, especially especially early on, and if you're if you're planning on doing base, I mean, there's there's definitely something to be said for for getting through those early jumps. I think uh, it was uh, Matt from Squirrel and Matt Munting uh, both uh, said, uh, you, you know, there's a lot of base jumpers that will tell you that it's all skill and there's no luck involved, and they're full of shit. That there's that there is a a fair amount of luck involved it, it, with skydiving as well. There's some luck involved. You just got more options with skydiving than you do with base. Yeah, jumping. you you you've definitely got some you know some more uh, fallbacks in in skydiving. But yeah, I mean things like like tension knots and stuff like that. I mean just weird shit happens. I well, mean when you've only got one canopy and you're deploying at 200 feet, 300 feet, it's I think that's the thing you that's know, always gotten to me, you know, as I think about it as I get older, mm-hmm. um, the uh, allure of base jumping has faded for me because what is a normal, almost just an annoyance in skydiving is fucking potentially fatal on a base jump. Oh, sure. I mean, holy yeah, shit. Yeah, not, not being able to get rid of your canopy if something goes real bad is, is, is rough. Yeah. Well, and then there's the other things like, um, oh Christ, I'm, I'm struggling to remember his name that uh, that drowned in the Merced River after jumping El Cap. Um, oh, yeah, sure. Um, why, Frank Gambale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, and I believe... The, gam- the gambler. Yeah, and he was actually the one... You remember the old Chronicles movies? 
Um, he, yeah, yeah, he, he, I think it was Chronicles 3 where he's up on top of an antenna at the very end of the movie and uh, cops pull up and they're trying to get him to come down and he's like, fuck it. And so he flicks it, uh, lands right next to the cop car and at one point in the video he actually gives his stash bag to the cop so he can put his canopy <laughs> in the stash bag. And I remember pissing my pants laughing. But the downside to uh, the fact that they've made base illegal, especially something as stupid as base illegal in Yosemite, is that somebody like poor Frank fucking drowns in the Merced River just trying to get away from the Rangers. How stupid is that? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's you know, the the legality in Yosemite is always kind of a, a tricky thing because people, you know, I've I've been hanging out in Yosemite for, for a fair few years and, and spent my fair share of time there. Um, and people always ask, oh, don't you wish it was legal? And I do some and I don't some kind of thing. It's, it's you know, I, I totally understand people are like, yeah, it'd be great to go and jump whatever we want. I'm like, great. And then part of me is like, man, base jumpers are fucking idiots and are going to, you know, <laughs> shit all over everything kind of, of thing. So it's, it's, it's tough. It's definitely a, a double-edged sword. But, but, you know, things like that where it's, it, it is totally true that there has been injuries and fatalities that are 100% because people are jumping early or late or dark, you know, things like that, trying to avoid getting caught which so is a th- bunch of bullshit definitely a, a, yeah it's definitely a legitimate thing that happened so. i think it was uh, valley uprising was the movie i was watching and it was uh, um uh, one section of it was highlighting dean potter um and uh, when he came up with the idea of freebase um and for those that don't know freebase is to free solo which means climbing with no harness no ropes up these massive faces but he was wearing a base rig so that after a certain height if he came off he had a chance to deploy his canopy completely legal to climb these big fucking 3000 foot rocks with no ropes illegal if he falls off and uses the parachute to save his own life how fucking stupid is that it's ridiculous yeah it's- it, it, Yosemite is a very interesting place and, and I, you know, sadly it is, and it kind of always has been, so you can't get that upset. It's a, it's a tourist trap in a lot of ways. Sure. I mean, it's been a tourist trap since like the late 1800s when people sure. are going out there and staying yeah. in since hotels. And, and, I, and I do think that, you know, if, if, you know, things like climbing, if it wasn't such an integral part and kind of grandfathered in the valley, the National Park Service has no reason for climbing to be an activity in Yosemite. Like it doesn't make them any money. It doesn't do anything beneficial for the park kind of thing so sure yeah sure. I, I don't think you know and and the 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 truth of yosemite base jumping too is that you know it is there is technically a permit that you can apply for to base jump in yosemite really and because because that it's, it's ever been issued but there is a permit so if you're like man we want to protest so we can jump in yosemite and they're like okay you can apply <laughs> because of that and there is a permit you can't really review the activity um, with slacklining, I think it was, there was some kind of review of the activity and they decided to say, okay, these are the rules. This is how we're going to make it what you have to do. You have to pad trees and ropes and things like that to, right. to make it done safely. Base jumping, if you ever like, hey, we need to review if you can base jump. They're like, oh, you can just apply for the permit. <laughs> that they'll never grant. Right. So it's it's kind of a, it's a way of being like, yep, this is our final stance and Sure. Well, I know when they did the uh, the protest jump, God, this must have been 25 years ago or close oh, yeah. to, sure. you know, and, and uh, again, for those that don't know, um, one of the jumpers, uh, I believe the story was last minute she decided to, to um, jump a different rig um, in protest of base jumping being illegal. And they had, had made this agreement with the, the rangers that the rangers weren't going to bust them until after they jumped, but they were going to get busted when they landed. But 
everything was understood. And they and they were going to take their gear away, yeah. which was the yeah. integral part. Which is why she decided to jump a borrowed rig because her normal rig was her favorite rig. And I, I, I cannot remember the handle placement, so you'll have to tell me if you know. Yeah, it's a leg leg pullout. So she had a old leg. School, old school pullout, yeah. Yeah, and so she uh, she jumped out. And when the, the one that she borrowed was, was it a BOC? I think hers was a BOC and the one she borrowed was, was a leg, leg pullout. pullout. I, think she, I think she went BOC and... Kept going and kept going. Yeah, yeah, and the, never, never found it. And of course, it was Tom Sanders was her husband, uh, and yep, sure. uh, filmed her from exit. And then halfway down, she's reaching for the BOC over and over and over again, brain locked all the way in. Stupid shit like that, you know. I mean, she basically died because she didn't want to lose her rig. Well, that was silly on her part, um, but ridiculous on in the fact that they even had to do that jump. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's it's hard because base is definitely one of those sports where there's not a lot of room for error, and and people die and will unfortunately continue to die. Yeah, I man. mean, lo- hopefully in smaller and smaller numbers. And and you know, there's been more more fatalities in the last five or six years. And actually, this last year, I think there was only I think there was eighteen or less, which is actually you know is actually kind of low, which is which is kind of a good thing, but the amount of people that are jumping now compared to five years ago sure. is dramatically higher. So even though these, the, the instances are still happening, you know, the percentage of them is, is definitely decreasing. It just seems, sure. uh, I mean, uh, I know that the skill levels have gone through the roof, but the rash of fatalities and the skill level of the, the jumpers that have been going, uh, do you think it's getting almost to the point where, I mean, you said you basically did everything you had to do in a wingsuit and kind of backed off. Um, Nick and Matt Munting have told me that they've stopped with the proximity stuff so much and they're pulling away from the mountain and almost doing more much more free fly type stuff um but uh, much further away from the terrain uh do you see that as a trend or i mean uh, i mean it's i think it's just like just like skydiving have it's always kind of what's the next thing where we've seen you know remember when swooping i i still I, i've been long enough where i remember when swooping was still kind of an early-ish thing kind of stuff and and swoop ponds were uh, and swoop comps were a uh, you know, get your stiletto out there and, and go crazy. But, uh, it, you know, it's in, in wingsuit base now, people are less impressed by the crazy, I'm flying six inches off the ground at a thousand miles an hour, kind of weaving between trees. And, and they're more seeing people doing these cool acrobatic maneuvers and sure. back flying and sure. doing, you know, it's, it's, it's just kind of, it's just the new thing. It's the different thing. So sure. I'm, I'm sure we'll see it change in and change again too. Well, and I'm sure it's the old man in me, and and again the the non base jumper in me. But uh, uh, when I would watch these terrain videos with people, you know, literally brushing treetops or scrub brush because they're that low, uh, I was. It wasn't that I wasn't impressed because I absolutely was impressed, but I was horrified that it's one itty bitty downdraft is all it'll take. You know, um, so I, I stopped being yes, impressed. It's... You know. It's taking that margin of error down to zero. Yeah, you know, and 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 stuff happens. I'll never forget uh, one of my friends, Brian Drake, that that died in 2014 uh, in a wingsuit uh, base jumping. He, we were jumping out in France, and we landed. And he's like, "Man, I almost hit a deer." And I was like, "What?" And he and he pulls out the video, and sure enough, I mean, he missed hitting a little small antelope, whatever they have in the mountains in France, hanging out over there by like three feet. Jesus. And when that kind of random stuff can happen, I yeah. mean, that's that's when there's, you know, that kind of stuff can happen yeah. when, when you're taking it down to that level. So, I mean, it's, well, yeah, it, it definitely is. Like I said, yeah, you take that margin error down to zero, then 
any little thing can happen. Yeah, so. you no longer are just relying on your skill. There's way too many other factors involved. And obviously, most of the wingsuit base jumping is happening in mountainous terrain, which can be very volatile weather-wise and wind-wise. And I know that uh, a very smart wingsuit pilot knows exactly what's coming. But, man, those little breezes happen and deer come out of nowhere. And, and I mean, I, yeah, no, the, the variables just make my head hurt. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it is amazing, too, what, what people are doing with, with lasers now and terrain mapping and all this crazy stuff. I mean, and, and, and guys going up to do a new jump and basically will shoot a laser down and get a few points, have a GPS coordinates of every start they've ever done in a wingsuit and been like, yep, every single one makes it by exactly this amount at this level. This would be my close point. It's pretty crazy, you know, how they can use technology to make it safer. I mean, I still feel like, you know, an old man now that, you know, ah, how was the rock drop? Six seconds? Sure, that's good. Versus now they'll they'll tell you the exact points along the line and exactly where you're going to be and things like that. God, so that's fucking crazy. It, 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 is, it is amazing what people are doing, you know, with technology to make it safer, to, to do these crazy things, but make it a lot sure. safer. Now, speaking of technology, what do you think of the Jetman stuff? Oh, it's, it's crazy. I wonder, you know, it, part of me wonders how commonplace that'll be in 20 years. Right. If more people, I, I saw, I just saw, I was watching the, uh, the vertical takeoff video the other day and being like, oh man. Oh, I know it. Uh, that's there. I'm, I think, I'm sure you've seen way more of that than I have in person kind of stuff. I've been there, very right? lucky. Yeah, I've been able to fly formation with uh, both of them uh, uh, at one point. Ives and, and uh, Vince and Fred um, were formed up on the back of a Twin Otter I was flying. That was pretty ridiculous. And and uh, uh, then just recently seeing that video of, uh, I think it was Vince, uh, flying up to a helicopter vertically and just stopping, hovering, throwing up a shaka and then dropping away. Which is oh, it's, yeah, it's fucking. Those guys are those guys are such talented pilots too. I've I've you know Fred especially. I've gotten to know a little bit at events over the years and stuff like that. And I think that's kind of what the big change in wingsuit base was when you know early two thousands. It seemed like wingsuit pilots at a lot of drop zones were old guys that didn't want to do RW <laughs> and base jumpers. Young young guys are at least you know at places like Lodi that was that was definitely the case. Sure. And when the free fly, cool, you know, 5,000 jump guys started putting on wingsuits and being like, oh, this is a cool thing that we can do some really amazing stuff with with all our skills. That's when we saw, you know, when Noah, I remember Noah Bonson putting on a wingsuit for the first time and coming out at Lodi. I mean, you know, that watching him just, you know, I remember him doing his first base jumps and watching what he's done and and the skill level and all that stuff is just unbelievable. It's it's through the roof. It really you know, seeing is. Seeing a lot of those, seeing a lot of the videos where you're like, "Oh, that's an amazing video." Who's the guy that's filming this? And then it's usually <laughs> right. Noah. So I mean, that's that stuff really amazes me. It's been it's been amazing to see those super talented skydivers. Yeah. Kind of. I, I've I never got to that even close that level in skydiving. I I think I had just over 400 skydives when I did my first base jump, and I've probably done 500 more in the last 14 years. <laughs> I kind of, I was, you know, it's, it's, it's real bad to say, but I was the kind of guy that would go out and go out and do one, one or two skydives to trap my new wingsuit. And then we're going to go take it to the mountains. Yeah, man. That was, you know, well, figured out. I mean, when I first got started in skydiving, that kind of stuff would have been frowned upon, but nowadays it's almost commonplace anymore. I mean, uh, I, I think that uh, people that are in both sides of the sport are a lot more common than they used to be. It used to be just a few people on the drop zone were base jumpers. Um, and then, you know, you'd maybe one or two people a year would go uh, and do bridge day because that was the big safe one. Okay, everybody's going to go do bridge day. It's it's well tested. You can land in the water. You know, I mean, uh, very few major incidents happen at bridge day. It's a high exit. and um, But 
there weren't that many people that took it further than that. That that was them checking the box. Yes, I've base jumped. I went and I did I did uh, bridge day. Uh, but nowadays, I think it's quite commonplace for people to come out to the drop zone to learn how to skydive only so that they can base jump. And that was oh, and 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 to only to wingsuit base jump. Yeah, even more so. I mean, the the, the I'd say the biggest change I've seen in my career in base jumping is kind of the I won't say the death of slider down jumping, but you know, guys don't get into base jumping to do slider down they get in it because they saw the wingsuit videos and they want to fly the wing which is understandable wingsuits are freaking amazing i mean wingsuit wingsuit proximity flying is probably the most intense crazy thing i'll do in my entire life and, and i'm okay with that like, oh that yeah that's great yeah absolutely well uh, and you may have been around davis at the time that uh, um Amon mcneely and evo uh came oh, out yeah. and, sure. you know these are the and it was funny because when they came out and i've talked about them a number of times on the podcast and one of these days pirate you're gonna fucking be on the podcast um they came I was out, just talking to evo over facebook messenger like last week actually were you really oh i yeah. fucking love that guy man i was just telling a story about about doing his aff and he was the most intense guy in the world and then i found out who he was and i've seen videos of him climbing and I'm like, that can't be the same fucking guy because <laughs> he's so calm and so uh, focused on uh, his climbs. But he was so intense and high strung learning how to skydive. I'm like, Jesus Christ, I got to get this guy to calm the fuck down. And, you know, and then to find out that he and Ammon and, uh, you know, Nick Martinez are these rock gods climbing in Yosemite under the stone monkeys. Holy shit. You know, it's sure. incredible. Yeah, I mean, it, it, spending a lot of time in Yosemite with with those guys that you know, I have, I, I, I've, I climb a little bit. I'm not a climber, and I'm when I and if I am a climber, I'm nowhere near the category of of those guys who are just sure. legends in their sport. I mean, so being able to run around in the valley and and hang out with those guys and kind of get taught Yosemite by the guys who are the gods of Yosemite was amazing. Was you know a super. I feel Absolutely. very privileged to have, to have done that kind of kind of thing. So you know, it's it's funny because uh, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Uh, there's nothing particularly cool about me except my friends. Uh, I've got I've got some of the coolest friends on the fucking planet, you know, and and I count uh, Nick Martinez and and Emma McNeely as as those as well, and to be able to say that these guys that have set world's records and done these incredible things that I can't even begin to fathom attempting, um, you know, uh, these these are are buddies of mine, and I get to brag just because hey, this is my good friend, and look how fucking incredible he is, uh, and it's it's really cool to be uh, associated with and to know people that can do these absolutely amazing things that even I won't, I wouldn't even think twice to consider doing the shit that they're doing. And it's so cool. Yeah. Base collects a lot of those kind of extreme sports athletes from other realms, you know, skiers and, and things like that too. I mean, I remember meeting Shane McConkey and never having heard of him and just meeting him skydiving and (laughs) and base jumping and and some be like, yeah, he's like the best free skier in the world. Right. Oh, that's interesting. I just, I just saw a a video, uh, a clip of, um, it was Bear Grylls with Alex Honnold and Alex went out to do a skydive. Uh, and he went on record as saying, I hate falling. This just shit's just not for me. It scares me. I don't (laughs) like it. And I'm like, dude, you climbed El Cap without a fucking rope. He Come did. On. He did his AF. He did his AFF at Lodi too. Like, did he really? I can't remember what year. Yeah, I can't. It, he was kind of. I, I think his plan was to get into base jumping, and I think then Stanley and Dean died about that time, and that was kind of yeah. You know, uh, call, called it off, and that's you know fair enough. So since you brought it up, what's uh, what's your overall opinion of Lodi? Because people seem to go one of two ways. 
Yeah, you know, I, I see both sides of it equally, and, and I'm not sure how much you've heard of the of the more recent stuff, but you know, it's it, it sadly it's it's seeming like kind of the endish of an error for for Lodi kind of thing. They, well, they what's the most their, recent they, stuff? Well, they the biggest thing that was you know there was there was some bad publicity about tandems and plane crash and things things like you know things that that tend to happen at Lodi every now and again you know to be to be fair, but um, they decide to finally raise their prices. So I I think it's either twenty or maybe even twenty five bucks for a jump ticket now, and, and you know and it's you know Lodi is an amazing place and a part of the thing that brought tons of people, especially from around the world and climbers and things like that, is you could do a thirteen thousand foot jump out of an otter for thirteen bucks, and you know just hang out there for a month and do a hundred jumps if you wanted to easily because they're yeah. jumping you know otter every day of the week. Yeah, pretty much. And I, I think Bill's just kind of getting. He's getting older. I bet he's getting kind of just sick of all the all the bullshit kind of oh, thing. Yeah. And I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure he has an exit strategy. And, and I think I think Bill is is a super good guy for skydiving. I mean, talk about a guy who loves skydiving. <laughs> I remember I did a I did a uh, a survey, and this was before they had internet surveys or anything. And I, I got a grant in med school after my first year to travel around to different drop zones and to give out surveys on what's called anhedonia. What anhedonia means is that how much do you enjoy regular things because you do this intense kind of stuff? And it was actually developed for, for heroin addicts to say, do you enjoy, you know, normal things because you have the highs of heroin just depress your, your love of normal things. And it turns out skydivers actually love normal things more, even more than regular people. And the surveys always ask like, Oh, how would you enjoy a beautiful sunset on a one to four scale four being the most and one being, but I actually had Bill do one of these surveys. And, and part of the survey is how many skydives do you have? And his answer, and this was probably in 2005 or six, was 40,000 plus. I was like, holy <laughs> crap. I mean, he, the man loves skydiving. And yep. that's what he did for a long time and did a lot of tandems and, you know, flew a lot of loads kind of thing. So he, uh, I have a lot of respect for, for Bill as, as a, a unique individual as Bill is. Oh, I got a lot of respect for him, what he's done for the sport, USBA or not kind of thing. I think unique is the only way to put it. And he's, he's such a polarizing figure in skydiving because it seems to me that uh, either you are in Bill's camp or you're not. There doesn't seem to be a real middle of the road. And I, I flew briefly at Bill's drop zone when all his aircraft had been grounded by the FAA. <laughs> so they're all on the ground because, and I, I may be misquoting, so Bill, if you're listening, sorry, um, that the FAA came out Bill, to inspect... Bill's not, Bill's not listening. No, he doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> and he wouldn't care anyway. He'd just try and fire no. me. <laughs> but I, I believe uh, the FAA was inspecting one of the otters, and when they asked for the paperwork on one of the engines that was hanging on the otter, they didn't have any. <laughs> so yep, sounds sounds about right. Yeah, I, my first ever jump at Lodi was when I was actually coming out. I, I came out to Sacramento in like November of '05, I guess it was, uh, to do my med school interview, and I brought up rigs. I was skydiving, so went down to Lodi and I and I went up with my logbook, went up to the desk and say, "Hey, I need to fill out a waiver." And Bill says, we don't do waivers here. We do skydives. I was like, fair <laughs> enough. This is an interesting place. Fucking Bill. Man, I hey, watched... waivers, on, waivers on the ticket. I, I, I've seen him in really good moods and I've seen him in not so good moods. I watched him uh, uh, tell a fun jumper that I guess had never jumped there before, uh, made the mistake of asking Bill when he was in a bad mood where he should pack his parachute. And uh, I think the answer ended up being at another drop zone. <laughs> yep. I, I never got officially fired at Lodi. 
but I did. Uh, I was I was coming in from a from a wingsuit jump, and this is actually when you could swoop at low dice. You could do two seventies. Uh, so this was you know ten twelve years ago, and I did a two seventy. And there was a tandem student that her friend was landing across the field and just ran out across the field to go see her friend when she landed. And you know, I came closest to her. It wasn't a near collision or anything, but you know, it was a noticeable oh that girl ran in front of me kind of thing. So, so Bill, I, I'm walking back inside. Oh shit, Bill's gonna come up me. Bill comes up and goes, "Hey, uh, did you see that tandem?" It's like, "Yeah, Bill, got kind of close to her." Yeah, Bill, sorry about that. Do you know where the student field is? Yes, Bill, I do. Well, you know the field that's two fields past that? Yeah, Bill, I do. That's your landing area. Okay, Bill, I'm sorry. <laughs> Took me about 15 minutes to walk in from every jump across, like you know, four farm fields back out. Uh, yeah, there, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you didn't. You didn't piss off Bill, right? He he didn't fire me, but I didn't actually work for him, and I was flying the only plane that he had available at the time. So, but uh, I don't know that Bill cared for me all that much when I was there because I'm not very good at uh, at keeping a, a clean tongue in my mouth. So it was fuck this and shit that, and uh, anybody <laughs> that knows Bill or knows Lodi is you do not cuss around Bill. No, and and you know, as as whatever people say about Bill, he. When swooping was hurting people and stuff, he banned swooping. No greater than nine degree turn. And and when you know if there was something dangerous that you did, or or even you know using drugs in the drop zone, if you heard about that, you're off. I mean, he he had very you know kind of strict policies out of a lot of stuff. A very interesting guy for sure. But uh, you know, I I don't know if I could say any of the stuff he did was super horribly egregious in in any way kind of thing. But yeah, it's, and and I'm sure being at Davis too, the, there was definitely a Ray versus Bill kind of Oh sure. sure. Oh sure. And I mean uh, I will always be team Ray only because Ray's a, a good friend of mine and and Ray gave me amazing opportunities. I don't know Bill well enough to say and uh, obviously sure. I just go by, you know, what I've heard about the drop zone and the unfortunate incidents that take place there on a semi-regular basis. I mean, I, I tried to picture um, Bill's reaction when he found out about this latest fatality when the the poor woman landed on the highway. Oh, yeah. I, uh, there's there's an amazing uh, interview of Bill talking about that, by the way, on, on YouTube. I'm sure you can find it somewhere. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, he, he's basically sitting there and he has about six microphones clipped to his shirt from all these <laughs> you know news agencies. He's sitting there just being Bill. And they're like, uh, Bill, so what happened with this recent uh, raid? And he's like, which raid are you talking about? I've been raided by the FAA, the FBI, the CIA, the you know tax agency, all this stuff. I don't know. It was just hilarious. Absolutely he's, hilarious. He's uh, I, I used to jump for uh, um, a group out in uh, Vegas called Outlaw Skydiving, but perfectly honest it should have been bill outlaw skydiving all the way it's he's uh he's exactly what you would picture the fandango pilot being uh when he got on <laughs> yeah fair enough That's, i mean he's he's a guy skydiving needs characters and has characters like that and it's it's sometimes it is the the rebels that are pushing stuff and and you know good or bad bill's a rebel you yeah for sure him. well i mean bill, it, bill is bill and he's always going to be bill no matter what oh no he's not going to change for anybody and i mean if you look at it from a sideways point of view bill dramatically pushed um skydiving in northern california to be better because all the drop zones around whether it was davis or down in monterey and all this stuff were competing as hard as they could to try and take business away from bill and that only happened because sure. he had such a great business 
Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. You know, uh, I, I never, I, I haven't jumped it to, at Lodi and, and uh, I, I stayed away from Lodi because of, of the bad reputation that it had. And then I flew there uh, for the first time and went, oh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit Wild West, but it's not that bad. And they actually have a surprising amount of rules in place to try and keep people safe. Oh, sure. I mean, it's it's one of those things. Northern California is a very interesting area where you have these two drop zones that are very close together and, and do a lot of business, but no one really jumps back and forth between no. them. I mean, even even down in Paris and Elsinore, I'm sure you know it seems like there's people that go back and forth between Paris and Elsinore and everyone's friendly about it. Well, don't they have uh, the guess, boogie you know, that goes back and forth? I mean, they have them where you yeah, take off I mean, from Elsinore and land in Paris? Yeah, sure. I mean, they, they they actually, you know, yeah, support and enjoy each other kind of thing. And, yeah. and that is not the case between... <laughs> No. Davis and Lodi, and I don't think no. ever has been. No, kind of thing, so. if it uh, if Davis and, and Lodi were on the same airport, it would just be another version of Hawaii. That's I was just gonna say that it's very <laughs> similar to to Hawaii, where you got guys right next to each other just hating each other. Yeah, kind kind of thing. But, I remember uh, hearing a story about Hawaii, and I don't know if it's true. I could be talking out of my ass, but that basically the staff from one drop zone was told on windy days, if you see uh, uh, you know a tandem from another operation getting dragged, you just fucking let them get dragged. I, I believe it. I, Oof, I believe it for sure. That's Got some it. hardcore shit right there, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I started jumping at Davis when I first moved out, just because that was the the closer drop zone, and and honestly, it, it does have more of that kind of more stereotypical drop zone vibe of hang out afterwards, and we're all going out to dinner and having a Christmas party and, and things like that. And there was just a little bit less of that at Lodi, but there was a lot of wingsuits at Lodi. So that's and, and that was the time where there wasn't a lot of wingsuits most places. So that's really what drew me there and, and kept me there for for, you know, a majority of my skydives, I would say. For sure. Well, and a lot of the people that I've talked to uh, um, that were uh, avid Lodi jumpers were like, I've learned to navigate the politics at Lodi and the jumps are really cheap. Sure. And, and I mean, you had some of the, the best free flyers in the world coming out of there because they were doing tons of I mean the in, in the you know early 2000s, the the camera flyers that were out at Lodi, you know, Robbie Bigley and, and guys like that were, were amazing free flyers and, mm. and we're kind of pushing the sport forward too. So, yeah. And it's the <clears> che- <throat> cheap jumps and access to a plane, you know, a, a turbine seven days a week that'll do it. Sure. Absolutely. So as we, as we roll through the hour mark, uh, completely off the subject of skydiving, you're an ER doctor, which means you see some seriously intense shit. Uh, the morbid asshole in me wants to know some good stories from being an ER doctor. <laughs> You gotta have some. <clears throat> oh, oh yeah. I mean, there's there's plenty. There's uh, there's there's some pictures of X-rays and, and things like that that are that are always that are always interesting. It's yeah. I mean, so the people always ask about people putting stuff in their butts. I think that's the most common. You know, and when and when you when you ask honestly, when you ask an ER doctor what the gnarliest thing he's seen is. He's thinking about some awful stuff that he doesn't want to talk about, kind of right. kind of thing, you know, right. dead kids, stuff like yeah. that. It's it's you know, there's there's definitely downsides to the job. Sure. Um, but there's a lot of people that put funny stuff in their butts too. So yeah. you know, it's a, it's a balance. Well, but, it's, uh, yeah, there's the funny stuff in the butt things seems much more entertaining to me. <laughs> oh yeah, and it absolutely is. And what I always <laughs> like to remind people is that, and what I remind myself when someone comes in and they're like, "Hey, I got something," you know, up there. <laughs> Is that they have probably tried everything they can possibly think of to, to get, get this out. out. I mean, I, I don't think anyone goes, whoops, let's go make this public. <laughs> let's get someone, let's get a stranger involved in their retrieval of this. I mean, they have tried everything that they can think of. Oh, man. Oh, man. That's got to be. I mean, how do you, do you, do you just let it go and laugh or do you, do you manage to keep a straight face? I always figure that, you know, we're probably seeing a 
teeny tiny percentage of stuff that's getting put in butts too. So it's probably way more common than anybody really wants to talk about. Oh. So you know, these things that every once in a while you'll have, you know, a, a kind of preteen teenage kid that'll come in with with you know shampoo bottle or something like that and and mom is with them and is extremely embarrassed and oh, like oh should we put should we put the should we put them in therapy i don't know what to do and and i kind of always say you know hey th- there's probably we are probably seeing 0.01% of things that 14 year old boys are putting in their butts right right so you know it's this oh. is probably just curiosity gone wrong i wouldn't worry too much about it for every one that ends up in the hospital there's 100 that manage to lube up the tongs and get it out of there <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll give you I don't like to get super specific on stories just because you know some of them are pretty specific and people could be could be listening but I'll tell you my my probably most memorable one is that you know I got a when we get an ambulance assigned to us we we get this little alert on our phone saying you know what's coming in by ambulance and what time so I get foreign body by ambulance five minutes interesting so ambulance gurney comes in and there's a teenage guy face down with a blanket covering him and something very tall protruding from the general area of his buttocks. I'm like, what is, what is going on here? And then, you know, a very, a very distraught looking mother following closely behind the gurney. So I kind of go and I'm like, Hey, what, what is, what's going on here? She's like, it's a toilet brush I bought from Ikea last week. I was like, what? A toilet brush. And, and the, the toilet brush, the problem is that it's kind of, the bristles are kind of a little bit Christmas tree like. So they go, they go in a lot easier than they come out. And it was brush first. Oh no, my God. Oh and I my even God. Had, I, I, I was, I was kind of like, was this just curiosity gone wrong? And the kid, you know, I'm sure you can imagine that he's not thrilled about the situation either. Right. And I, I even called the, uh, called one of the surgeons to be like, Hey, do you think I'm going to do any damage? Just pulling this thing out. What's going to happen? There's like, no, nah, go for it. <laughs> so we give, we give the, the kid a little sedation and, you know, just kind of pulled out, and I, I always kind of say, "Have you have you ever taken a wet toothbrush and kind of flicked the bristles?" Oh no, that's that's kind of what happened. There's just kind of a little fine mist of oh no, oh shit no, through the through the through the air. So yeah, it's never never a dull moment in the oh, ER. Oh my god, I had a a good buddy that was a jumper out in Cross Keys that uh, uh, was an ER nurse, uh, and he would come in and give us the most ridiculous stories because he like you would work nights and then he'd come to the drop zone in the morning, exhausted, do a couple of jumps and then sit around drinking beer. And uh, I mean, some of the stories that he had to tell were just. Oh my God. And he was in, uh, um, in the Philly area and I can't remember the name of the town, but it was like famous for gunshot wounds and sit. And the stories that he would tell would just be outrageous. But the funniest ones would be along those lines of people shove, shove something up their ass or did this or did that. And I mean, Oh my God. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, you see some gnarly stuff. I, UC Davis is the, the big level one trauma center around Sacramento. So you get plenty of gnarly, crazy, you know, <laughs> Car crashes, blims missing, all sorts of gnarly stuff. So, I mean, it's you—you you, you firm up your stomach pretty quick. You'd have it's to. Just kind of, it's just—it's just kind of part of the job. I mean, and honestly, like, it's a job. I've always kind of say it's a job that needs to be done. Someone's got to be okay with doing it for sure. some reason. I'm okay with doing it, so sure, I should probably do it. Well, and I, I would imagine that it, in a slightly more extreme version, is—it's uh, going to up your. Uh your humor level as well as a self-defense mechanism. It's like skydivers oh, I mean, or base jumpers, you know it, I mean? It, ER medicine is, is so similar to skydiving with that dark humor. You, yeah. you kind of, you have to have it to really cope with stuff. I mean, oh, otherwise yeah. you'd go nuts. I mean, it, 
when I was it's there, there is there is there is a very you know with with things like base jumping, it's amazing and crazy and taking me, but there's a dark side to it too. I mean, there's, oh, yeah. you, you lose friends, like you lose close friends. So. When I was very early in the sport uh, uh, and it just started really jumping hardcore, I was shooting video and and uh, we had a fatality on the drop zone that I was at, and uh, nobody at the drop zone knew him because he was visiting. But of course, everybody is still devastated and people crying all over the place. And and uh, there were two of uh, the English instructors that I worked with that were sitting down at a picnic table just shoving food in their face and yakking back and forth and having a good old time. And one of the girls at the drop zone that was heavily in tears was like, oh my God, how can you guys eat at a time like this? And and the one Englishman looks up without blinking and goes, well, he's still fucking dead, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, and I remember, yeah, it's, it's, I remember being horrified when he said that because it was early in the sport. And now, you know, 25 years later, uh, that would be the most mild thing that you'd, that you'd hear a lot of people say. Sure. And it's a, sure. it's a wonderful self-defense mechanism. So I can imagine that, especially as an ER doctor, it's got to be that way. And maybe I'm just all pushing it down inside and I'll have a massive nervous breakdown someday. It doesn't feel like that yet, but you, ne- you never know. That's a definite possibility. Well, I, I get all my knowledge of what goes on in the ER from shows like Nurse Jackie. So my mentality is very twisted or maybe not. <laughs> maybe it's right on. So I always wrap things up on the podcast by asking people what they advice they would give to uh, people just getting started in jumping, whether it's skydiving or base jumping, or what advice they'd give to people that are wondering if they want to continue. Should they continue or is it time to quit? What do you say to those people? Sure. I'd say for people, especially first getting involved, don't be in a hurry. And, and that's the hardest thing because especially in, in things like base or even skydiving, like all the cool guys are free flying. All the cool guys are, are have tiny rigs with tiny canopies and are swooping. All the all the cool guys are wingsuit base jumping and proximity flying. Enjoy everything for what it is. I mean, enjoy your AFF. Everyone, every single one of us was that same terrible AFF student at some time. You know, it, it, every single person. There's there's an amazing video of me trying to do my first backflips on a year end video back somewhere at Skydive <laughs> Midwest of not bending my knees in at all and just doing these awkward like back bend horrible things everyone was that way at one point no matter how cool you are so enjoy enjoy sucking at stuff i mean be okay with sucking at things and and knowing that uh, someone someone famous probably said you know being an expert at things is just being comfortable with being bad at something for a long time yeah oh yeah i completely you know you're, you're supposed to be terrible just keep doing it if you love it if it's something that you enjoy just keep doing it you'll get better awesome awesome now how about those people that are starting to wonder whether or not they should keep on going I mean, I would just say, you know, this is this is me with with base someday. I'm sure I'll, I'll say enough is enough kind of thing. And I'm just done with it. And, you know, listen to yourself and, and ask yourself genuinely if it's something that you don't want to do. No one's forcing you to do it. Yeah. If you if you still enjoy it. You can still do stuff and you can always take a break and come back. Yeah, absolutely. That's what, that's what worked for me. I took a four-year break from jumping and, and didn't jump again until the idea actually made me nervous. And now I'm a born-again fun jumper, which is wonderful. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, I, mean, I, I, I just got back into to skydiving more in the last year or so. I've got a bunch of buddies that are jumping and doing all the fun, crazy wingsuit things, too, in the in the sky. So starting to do that, I'm like, oh, this is super fun again. I remember why I like this in the first place. That's awesome. Yeah, man. And it's it's it, it, the great thing about skydiving for the most part is it's – and base jumping to some degree is it's something you can always go back to. Yeah. Maybe you shouldn't at some point with base jumping, but you always, <laughs> you always can, you know, it's, it's always, it's always there. And I always tell people too, when they're, when they're excited about doing an object or they, or they, you know, especially in base, if the weather's not right or the conditions aren't right, but they're like, Oh man, I spent three hours hiking up here. The object's going to be there. You're not. 
that's that's the only difference. I mean, it's always going to be there. Those cliffs have been there for long before we were around and will be there long after. So be be patient with stuff. Don't push stuff. And and of course, like every good skydiving base jumper, I'm giving all the advice that I didn't do when I was first starting. Of course. That's, that's the important part about being a, a base jumper is give advice to do the exact opposite. Always harp on people for doing the exact same things you were doing 10 years ago and tell them to do the opposite. Yep. Very important. Yep. Yep. No, and uh, that, that advice has been given on this podcast a number of times. So <laughs> you're in really good company. Well, Charlie, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to sit down. I know you've got a crazy busy schedule and you spent the whole night pulling things out of people's butts and now you're here talking with me. That's so, all I do. That's, that's it. it. If I can paint the picture for everyone at ER, that's all we do. Awesome. Out of butts. Awesome. Well, I hope never to visit your ER. Fair enough. <laughs> Me too. Once again, Charlie, thank you so much for taking the time. Good talking to you, buddy. Take care. Alrighty. There's another one in the can. Lunatic Fringe Into the Void, brought to you by the greatest magazine in the known universe. That is Blue Skies Magazine. Head to blueskiesmag.com where you can subscribe to the magazine. You can get previously published issues, all kinds of cool swag. And by the way, there's going to be a lot more swag coming up pretty soon. Uh, if you've got uh, any interesting ideas for articles, hit them up. Let them know. If you've got a story to tell, tell it. Fucking get it out there. Uh, also, photographers, man, get your pictures into Blue Skies Magazine. Um, for me, the fucking pilot, fuckingpilot.net is where you're going to find me nice and easy. Uh, that's got links to, uh, obviously this podcast, as well as both the books that I've written, uh, the fucking pilot book for blue skies magazine and the accidental stripper, uh, both of them available in uh, digital and print form. Uh, and they're both absolutely ridiculous. I apologize in advance, but they're fun. So anyway, uh, once again, lunatic fringe into the void. I am the fucking pilot. Thanks for coming.